Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. tuned into Freedom of Species, a show dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. This includes animal advocacy, activism, protection, conservation and importantly appreciation. The program is broadcast from 3CR studios in Melbourne, Australia, streamed live via the 3CR website. Recent podcasts, if you miss them, are also available via 3CR and the Freedom of Species websites. All podcasts are available via iTunes. I'm Emma Townsend. Australians love their digital equipment and that's all fine and good because it increases our quality of life but we need to think more carefully about what we're doing when we're finished with it. E-waste is growing at three times the rate of other municipal waste. 3CR Community Radio is dedicated to exploring the issues that affect our future. Because I think it is something we just need to be talking about. 855am. Tune in and listen up. My name is Chris Delforce. I'm the Executive Director of Aussie Farms. Part of what I'm doing with Aussie Farms and Aussie Pigs is just getting the information out there so that if someone wants to find out what's happening for themselves, then it's presented for them. Um, It's it's easy for them to find um, very comprehensively. And occasionally things come up like these these one-off media exposés like uh, the recent Yelmo Piggery footage that kind of draw people in. And my hope and what I've seen happen sometimes is that that's kind of the, the launch pad for people to think, hang on, maybe there's more to this than I've, than I've thought, and they'll go from there, they'll do their own research. And as long as all that material is available, they'll see this is not the first, this is the 40th. And these are conditions that are similar across the board, across the country. Sorry, you just um, said 40, Chris. Yes. Okay, so you have documented 40 piggeries nationally, an extensive library of the everyday cruelty that happens in these piggeries. That's right. There's there's 800 photographs from that most recent one. In total, there's over 7,500 on the Aussie Pigs website, and many many hours of footage. So it is it's all there, available for people to see. So you're hoping that the the occasional exposés then direct people to realise uh, in a very 
sobering fashion that this is everyday cruelty. Yes, and we, we have changed our language since the first one in 2012, Wally's Piggery, where we were talking about you know getting it shut down. That was our aim. We were saying this, this piggery is awful, everyone needs to sign this petition and we need to get this place shut down. We've changed our tax since then to just be um, almost in, a, in an unbiased way, showing just showing what's happening um, and saying the only way, the only thing you can do about this, the only thing, the only way that this can stop is if people stop contributing to this industry, if people stop paying for this to happen. That's what we're saying. When people ask us on social media or wherever it might be, what can be done about it? We're not saying sign a petition to shut it down. We're saying stop eating these animals, stop paying for this cruelty to happen and encourage others to do the same. That was Christoph Horst from Aussie Farms. He has a website that clearly and comprehensively displays the everyday cruelty for pigs in food production systems. As he mentioned, yet more horrifying footage of a piggery, of what was happening in a piggery, was revealed by Animal Liberation, this time from Yelma Piggery in South Australia. Pigs are seen sick, dying, dead in pieces. Pigs are heard screaming, workers hitting pigs and riding them after artificial insemination. It's become almost formulaic and somehow works in the industry's favour when footage such as this is released. There's shock and outrage from the public. Time goes by and you hear a worker or some workers may get a reprimand or be sacked for the extra sinister cherry on top cruelty that was exposed. If you don't know anything about pig farming, You would think, good, something was done about that awful cruelty. It was cleaned up. Most of us are unaware that nothing changes for the pigs because much of the suffering and cruelty seen in footage is legal under codes of practice, which exempt animals in the food production systems. From much animal protection law, most of us in society assume applies. Our main interview today is with Emma Hurst, Campaign Director for Animal Liberation, who will explain why it's rare to get a prosecution when animal abuse is alleged in the piggeries, and we also chat about the workers in these facilities as well. After that, we'll hear from Pete Crosby from Willowite Sanctuary. My best experiences with pigs is when I've gone to actual sanctuaries and have sort of had an interaction with pigs one-on-one, and you start to realise just how intelligent these animals are. I mean, people say that pigs are as intelligent as a six-year-old child, um, but it's not until you sort of get face-to-face with one of these animals that you really do feel like you're hanging out with a six-year-old child and, you know, you start to interact with these animals and, you know, they'll kick a soccer ball to you um, or they, they look at you right in the eyes and you're able to sort of communicate with these animals. Um, and I've been lucky enough to be able to spend time with animals that have been rescued from some of the most awful and horrific intensive farming situations that have then sort of turned into one of these sanctuaries and been able to live their life there. I quote from an article on the Animal Equality webpage. There was a a study conducted at the University of Cambridge. It was found that, yes, pigs are intelligent beings capable of recognising themselves in a mirror. They're highly sensitive animals, even smarter than dogs and cats, and are able to solve problems quicker than many primates. Have you got comments on that for us? Yeah, look, I'm not in the least bit surprised. I remember I read, uh, and I can't remember the author, sorry, who exactly said this, but they said that, 
you know, when they met a dog, they felt like the dog looked up to them. And when they met a cat, they felt that the cat looked down at them, but the pig looked at them as though they were equals. And I think that that's kind of really sort of exemplifies what it's like to look into a pig's eyes, is they look at you as though, you know, we're, we're on an equal playing field. And rightfully so. And I think that they are extremely intelligent. And I'm not in the least bit surprised to hear of, you know, the results of that research that you talk about. We take these individuals that we've just spoken about and, and farm them. Can you just share with us, Emma, uh, the basics of, of pig farming? Just as, as a foundation, I mean, we've got issues such as, um, you know, the majority of these animals are farmed intensively right throughout Australia. So they're often kept in sow stalls for a period of time. They might move to gestation traits when they've been impregnated and then when uh, their babies are taken and the females are re-impregnated. The baby pigs can be subject to a variety of mutilations. That includes clipping of the ears to identify the pigs. It may also involve removing their eye teeth. This is because the pigs often become very stressed and they start to attack each other because of the housing conditions that they're kept in. So rather than fixing the problem of them becoming stressed and attacking each other, they remove the teeth so that when they do attack each other, they can't harm each other to such an extreme um, degree that they can with the teeth. They often remove the tails of the pigs, again, because when they do become stressed and may attack each other, it's the tails that will get damaged first, so they just clip them straight off when they're piglets. And sometimes at some piggeries, they also remove the testicles of the males, and this involves one of the workers putting their fingers in and ripping those testicles out of the piglet. Now, all of these procedures are done without pain relief, um, so without so any, could, no anaesthetic whatsoever? No anaesthetic, no pain relief whatsoever. It's quite a, a stunning comparison when you think of if you took your beautiful, precious puppy dog to the vet and said, okay, it's time to de-sex my dog, um, mm. and they literally right there and then put their hands in or got a blunt knife and just took the testicles off. That's right. It's yeah. the same I thing, mean, is it not, Emma? Absolutely. And this is a problem within our code of practice. I mean, it's illegal to do that to a dog. It's illegal to do that to a dog and, and or a cat, and rightfully so. But what's happened here in Australia is that we've made exemptions for animal cruelty. So the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act actually states that you cannot intentionally cause pain and suffering to an animal. However, the farming industry has lobbied hard to say, well, you know, that'll cost us money to get, say, an anaesthetic to actually stop that pain and we don't want to pay for that. We want to make meat as cheap as possible. So therefore, we need to be exempt from the pain and suffering that we're causing. Uh, so there's various exemptions that are made in the codes of practice for farmed animals that allow that sort of stuff to happen where it would be illegal to happen to certain other species. I think a lot of people assume that a code of practice is a protective membrane for animal welfare. And many people in the industry, when they are defending a claim of uh, cruelty within factory farms, they always state, you know, we're following this authoritative code of practice. And I think people Mm. that don't know assume there is a certain level of protection. Can you tell us more about the codes of practice? Who writes them? Who has input for them? Well, yeah, the farming industry themselves 
predominantly put together the codes of practice. They're quite outdated now, but yeah, so the codes of practice allow for certain things within industry. So a lot of these codes of practice, we're now going through a process to turn them into standards and guidelines for various different industries. And uh, I don't think um, the pig farming industry has come up yet to move into standards and guidelines, but once it does, uh, the industry will sit down and try to work out what they want to keep. And of course, there will be some sort of pressure from various groups to have certain things changed. So, for example, the poultry code is up for, to change at the moment uh, into standards and guidelines. And the pressure will be, you know, to eliminate, for example, cages for caged birds in the egg industry. And the same pressure will be put forward um, once the pig farming code of practice goes into standards and guidelines. And there'll be pressure to, for example, maybe even just some small welfare changes, maybe being pressured, for example, getting rid of sow stores or providing pain relief when animals are being mutilated as piglets. But at the end of the day, these standards and guidelines will be drafted by the industry themselves. And this is where we have a big problem. So as you say, the industry hide behind these standards and guidelines or these codes of practice. And they say they're following the, the codes of practice. However, the codes of practice really don't protect these animals whatsoever. And that's why we're seeing the same sort of footage of animal cruelty from farms right across Australia. And people are quite horrified. So just recently we exposed um, a piggery in South Australia and people were really horrified. And a lot of people have been asking, what's going to be done about this? You know, how, you know aren't, can't these people be shut down? But the problem is a lot of that horrific footage we watched was completely legal. So some of that footage showed, you know, piglets being picked up and thrown into buckets and then uh, picked up and had their, their ears clipped and their teeth clipped, for example. We saw footage of artificial insemination and all of that is regular practice within these industries. So, and a lot of the housing that we saw in that footage was regular practice within these industries. So people complain that the RSPCA aren't doing anything. The RSPCA can't do anything if the law allows a lot of animal cruelty to actually happen to these animals. The proof of cruelty is there without seeing it because the codes of practice themselves state it. Yeah, so the codes of practice really allow it. So the codes of practice, for example, might say that you know an animal must be kept within um, an enclosure of a minimum size. And so they'll work out the minimum size for a sow stall. And then they'll work out, and then they'll state the amount of time that that pig can remain within a stow store as a maximum time. So it's stated in a welfare framework, but really it's just allow... I mean, a sow shouldn't be kept in a stall at all, the same way as you wouldn't keep a dog, you know, confined in a kennel where they can't walk forward and backwards and, you know, they struggle to stand up and sit down. I mean, you might enclose a dog in something like that in an emergency for a very short period of time, but certainly not for you know days or weeks on end. So they're sort of using that to sort of guide it into a welfare standard and hiding behind it as though it is a welfare standard when really it's just the allowance of cruelty to animals. So if they're a sow, they'll be repeatedly uh, forcefully impregnated about two times a year for two or three years until they're killed. And most of their lives are spent in small cages in which they can't turn around, they can't take more than one or two steps forwards or backwards. 
That's so sorry, how ma- oh, oh, all sorry. day, is that right, Chris? Is that all day? Yes, that's right, yes. So in farrowing crates, they're kept in those cages for around six weeks at a time. There are still approximately 30% of piggeries that use sow stalls, where the, the sows are kept in those cages for up to 16 weeks. That's the entire duration of their pregnancy. And then moved from there into the farrowing crate cages. So up to 22 weeks with only the, the only break being moving from one cage to the other. But aside from that, they're in those cages day in, day out for weeks on end. That in itself is horrifying. Okay, so we're into the farrowing crate. And so at this stage, the sow could have been there for 22 weeks, not... Well, 16 weeks in the sow stall and then six weeks in the farrowing crate. 24 hours a day. A pig, as I understand, actually will, if they want to go to the toilet, they will choose to go in another area, like any, a lot of other species. In these sow stalls, they literally have to poo where they are and sleep in their feces, right. even though it's meant it's meant to fall through a system there. But they, but literally, they're yeah sleeping in their own poo. And yeah. we okay. So the sow has her piglets. She's restricted in nursing them. Yes, yep. that's right. So she can't she can't really attend to the, to their needs. She can't move towards them. They have to move towards her. She has very limited interaction with them because she can't she can't move around to where they are she's you know her head is really only in in one place and yes it, it limits her natural ability they're very maternal animals uh, you know in natural situations they'll they'll sing to their young while nursing they'll you know they'll call them over they'll that they've just got such a, a close bond with them but in these cages they're um, prohibited from kind of connection with them at what age are the piglets taken away, Chris? Three to eight weeks. Three, I, I think, is the average, but it can be up to eight weeks. And is the sow then re-impregnated soon after? Yes. She's given, I think, around five days or so, and then her to re-impregnate her begin. Chris Delforce, Executive Director of Aussie Farms, explaining what is allowed in the codes of practice for sows, mother pigs. We'll now go back to Emma Hurst, Campaign Director at Animal Liberation. I asked Emma, who's actually monitoring or regulating these codes of cruelty, sorry, codes of practice anyhow? Okay, you bring bring in the regulation that a sow stall is only meant to, a sow is in a sow stall for like two hours a day. Well, who's, who's regulating that? Absolutely. There's, there's absolutely no regulation within this industry. The industry is completely self-regulated. The only time that a place will get inspected is if there's been a complaint put into the RSPCA. So the RSPCA and the Animal Welfare League and the police have powers to prosecute under the Protection of Cruelty to Animals Act for animal cruelty or for breaching and breaking this code of practice. However, the RSPCA is an independent charity so the police kind of refer most animal welfare issues to the RSPCA, but the RSPCA aren't a government body, so they don't have the funds to be able to regulate the entire industry. They are struggling at the moment to even just investigate each complaint they receive. Um, and, of course, that's because they're relying entirely on donations to do this. And then, of course, if they want to prosecute, that's going to cost them you know, potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars more to actually initiate a prosecution. Mm. So to do this as well as have the inspectorate on a charity is absolutely absurd. I mean, if you imagined having a charity that was in charge of all complaints of 
you know, child abuse. I think many years ago, it used to be a charity that ran all complaints on child abuse, where all investigations where an anim- where a child was abused was actually investigated by a private charity. And when we think about it in that way, I mean, it sounds absolutely absurd. I mean, of course, the government needs to fund an agency to actually take this over. And it's the same situation here where we can't just have a private charity do the majority of work for animal cruelty because they simply can't uh, regulate an entire industry. You are listening to 3CR 855 AM, the Freedom of Species show. We are chatting with Emma Hurst, the campaign director at Animal Liberation, about the everyday cruelty, basically, that pigs in the food production industry are subjected to. But we're going to take a little bit of bit of a break and listen to a tune by Lilith Lane called Higher Than This. listening to 3CR 855am, the Freedom of Species show. We are chatting with Emma Hurst, the campaign director at Animal Liberation, about what's restricting any prosecution taking place when it comes to cruelty in pig farming that's been exposed in the media. Back to the recent cruelty footage exposed in the South Australia piggery of Yelmer. Horrific. Took me a while to kind of gather myself after seeing the footage. You, you say that, well, actually, this is all legalised cruelty. Probably not, yeah. yeah. Probably, probably not all of it, but a lot mm. of it is. At the moment, this is with the RSPCA, is that right? And they're investigating into Yelmar. Mm-hmm, that's correct. How do you, you think that is going to play out? It's a difficult one. As, yeah, as I did say, the RSPCA can't prosecute for anything that the codes of practice allow, we can watch the footage and say, this is cruelty, this is cruelty, that is cruelty. I mean, you don't need to be an expert to know whether something is cruel and whether it's causing pain and suffering to an animal. However, because we do have codes of practice that allow animal cruelty to find animals, the RSPCA can't do anything on those issues. On other issues, for example, there was a sow that had fallen into a waste pit underneath the pens and she had been there for at least 48 hours and hadn't been um, attended to by staff, the investigator that actually took the undercover footage actually contacted the RSPCA. Otherwise, that pig would have just been left, um, you know, in a pool of feces and urine and just starved to death. But they could potentially prosecute on the fact that staff did not attend to her. The problem we then face is that the... RSPCA has difficulty getting the footage of animal cruelty that the undercover investigators got into court because the footage was not obtained legally. So they require a statement by the investigator. In this particular instance, the investigators actually put up their hand and said, yes, I'd be willing to actually put in a statement 
but then it comes so then it comes down to whether or not the RSPCA will actually prosecute. Unfortunately, the RSPCA in the past has hidden behind these issues with investigators not giving statements. There's a lot of push within government at the moment to introduce what are called ag-gag laws, where they're you know pushing for very very strong punishments of people who are going undercover and investigating animal cruelty and releasing footage like the one we've just seen recently at this South Australian piggery. And they're looking at fines of over $1 million and um, very long jail sentences for anybody investigating and exposing animal cruelty. So if, you know, rather than actually fixing the problems with animal cruelty, they're actually trying to punish the whistleblowers. Uh, so it's making it more and more difficult for these investigators to want to put up their hand and say, yes, I'll admit to actually taking this footage and I'll put in a statement to make it easier to prosecute. And obviously that's one of the reasons why um, people like Barnaby Joyce are actually pushing for these laws uh, so that um, they can cover up animal cruelty and ensure that prosecution is more and more difficult. However, in this case and in other cases, investigators have been brave enough to put up their hand, but the RSPCA have put out press statements saying that they couldn't prosecute because whoever took the footage didn't actually put in a statement. And on a couple of occasions, that's actually not been true. The RSPCA has made those statements despite investigators putting up their hands and saying that they were willing to give a statement. And I've spent some time trying to work out why the RSPCA would hide behind that um, and would refuse statements from investigators and then use it as an excuse not to prosecute. And the only thing that I can sort of see coming out of it is that the RSPCA is in a very, very difficult and very compromised position. So at the moment within government, the protection of animals comes under the Department of Primary Industries. So within New South Wales, the RSPCA has their prosecution powers signed off by the Minister for Primary Industries every few years. And that Minister for Primary Industries also gives a small amount of money to the RSPCA or signs off for that money to come through to the RSPCA as part of their role to prosecute under the Protection of Cruelty to Animals Act. However, the Department of Primary Industries, their priority is to protect primary industries. So they have been pushing, for example, for memorandums of understanding with Animal Welfare League and the RSPCA, whereby they want to be alerted to any cases of animal cruelty before they hit the media. So they're wanting to work with the RSPCA, but, I, I mean, it just feels like they're in such a conflict, conflictual position. I mean, it's like imagining that the mining industry had the portfolio of environment. We've got primary industries who are, you know, wanting to obviously create as much financial gain from the farming of animals looking after animal welfare and running the portfolio for animal welfare. And it puts the RSPCA in a very, very difficult position. Mm -hmm. If they start prosecuting for animal cruelty in intensive farms like the one in South Australia, like Wally's Piggery, which got dropped by the RSPCA a few years ago, then they're going to be going against what the Department of Primary Industries actually wants. So we're seeing this constant conflict and really the only way around it and the only way we can ensure some independence for the RSPCA is for that portfolio to be moved away from the Department of Primary Industries um, and either given to an independent uh, group that um, is solely focused on looking after animal welfare 
or moving to another department such as, you know, the Minister of Police. And for that independent body to not become a toothless tiger either, I guess. Absolutely, yeah. It, it needs to be independent with some strength and it needs to be, there needs to be some, uh, some strategies put into play to ensure that it doesn't come under enormous pressure from the agriculture industry. It needs to be independent of their influence so that that particular body can focus entirely on animal welfare um, and actually push some of these issues through and actually fix what's happening. You are listening to 3CR 855am, the Freedom of Species show. We are chatting with Emma Hurst, the campaign director at Animal Liberation. We're seeing more and more footage of animal cruelty coming through to the media and the media are more and more publishing some of these issues. And obviously animal rights groups are relying on the media to actually expose what's happening to the public because we're struggling so much to get those prosecutions with the RSPCA and, or with the police. The only fallback really is to expose to the world what's actually happening behind these closed doors. And despite the fact that there's been quite a few exposés over the last few years, people are continually shocked and horrified by the level of animal cruelty that's allowed in this country. Every time we expose something else, they hide behind this whole idea of, oh, it was a rogue operator. Um, and we hear that term used over and over again, and, oh, we don't endorse this and this isn't allowed, and, you know, this was a one-off, but the entire industry is not running this way. And, you know, that's the message that the industry is constantly putting out there, and that's another reason why, why these ag-gag laws are being pushed out that will stop any kind of industry-wide exposures, such as the, the um, exposure on the greyhound racing industry that we saw recently. Um, if the federal ag-gag law that uh, Barnaby... Joyce and Chris Backer pushing through federal parliament, but that could never be exposed. It could never actually come to light because they're trying to stop any kind of expose that shows that this is an industry-wide issue. Three CR Community Radio is dedicated to exploring the issues that affect our future. Because I think it is something we just need to be talking about. 855am. Tune in and listen up. You are tuned in to Freedom of Species. We're chatting with Emma Hurst, Campaign Director at Animal Liberation. Apart from the daily routine of cruelty, there's particular workers doing repulsive things, almost enjoying the cruelty involved. Can you Tell us about the psychology of the workers involved here. What's happening with the workforce in the mm. piggeries within the Australian context? Who are the workers for a start? Do we, where are they resourced from? And what's happening in the psychology there, Emma? In regards to workers, we're seeing a variety of workers at different places. I have spoken to workers that refer to a lot of 457 visas, which happen quite a lot. So what happens is, Workers are hired from overseas and they're required to remain in that job or they could potentially risk being forced to leave the country um, and they can bring their families in on those 457 visas as well. We're also seeing day-release prisoners. This is what I'm hearing from other workers is that a lot of other workers, particularly in slaughterhouses, could be day-released from prison and so they've got a job. They're put on buses from prison and taken out to the slaughterhouses 
work a shift and then they go back to prison in the evening. But as far as the psychology side of it, what we're really seeing is a cognitive dissonance with the workers. And so what I mean by that is that when you're exposed to that sort of animal cruelty, and I'm talking the systemic animal cruelty, so keeping animals in small cages or just the general day-to-day of a slaughterhouse, every animal you touch dies, you need to distance yourself from what's happening to that animal. And there's two ways that that can happen. You either distance yourself from that animal whereby you see that animal as an object and you distance yourself cognitively from what's happening right in front of you. You know, when you look at some of these footage, they're the people that are walking around like they're in a daydream. And they could be quite neglectful of the animals, but they're not being overtly cruel to them and and hitting and punching them. Um, But they might drop an animal and pick it up. It's almost like they're just working on a production line with a product. And I guess it's just a coping strategy to deal with what's happening with those animals. The other thing that can happen with cognitive dissonance is it can go even further whereby workers may end up feeling like you know, these animals are dirty, disgusting, horrible creatures and they deserve what's happening to them. And that's where you start to see some of this real overt aggression that happens to the animals, where you see workers kicking the animals, punching the animals, beating the animals. And we've seen more and more footage of that come out recently. And a lot of that's coming from the stress of the work itself. And there's a lot of pressure, you know, to stay within these jobs and to ignore the animals, not to look after the animals. I've been speaking with a worker recently within a piggery who saved one of the piglets who, you know, had gone into a flushing system. And he actually pulled out this piglet and rescued this piglet. Um, And one of the other workers picked up the piglet and smashed the piglet's head against a wall and said, oh, there's your rescued piglet, and pointed to the dead piglet on the ground. And he became extremely distressed by that because he, in his mind he had just saved this piglet's life. So there's a lot of pressure not to see the animals as thinking, feeling, you know, emotional beings. And I think we need to recognise the stress that occurs for these workers. I mean, this guy that's rescued the piglet, he's not... You know, an animal rights activist, he's not a vegan or a vegetarian. You, know, you probably wouldn't even consider him an animal lover. He's someone that's taken up a job inside an intensive piggery, um, knowing full well what, what, what's involved in that, but has come out with symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. And I think that's what happens is you know, people who genuinely like or care about animals, they don't work in intensive farms. They don't work in slaughterhouses. You're either going to get people who are taking the jobs because they're absolutely desperate and they often still just leave because they're so horrified by what they see or they're attracting people who, you know, have sort of some kind of issue or lack of compassion for animals and so they're able to cope with that or they build up that hard wall right at the beginning and with that cognitive dissonance they start to actually believe that these animals deserve that and um, I know a, a one of the men that worked in the Ingham's turkey slaughterhouse that was filmed beating turkeys um, had told friends of his, you know, oh, I had to punch that turkey in the head because he shat in my face. And it's just that mentality that, you know, the turkey probably did, you know, he probably did um, panic and he probably did, um, you know, but he wasn't attacking the man, but the man viewed it in a way that, he saw that the, the turkey did it on purpose and that, you know, he pooed in his face 
you know, because he hated him and he was a dirty, disgusting and horrible animal. So therefore he deserved to be punched in the face before he was put, you know, on a line to to be slaughtered with the other animals. And it's that sort of mentality that, that these animals deserve what's happening to them that's really quite dangerous. We're teaching people to disconnect from these animals so that we can treat them as commodities. And of course, as soon as we do that, we're encouraging violence within the community. There needs to come a point where we need to also recognise our own responsibility in this and recognise that a lot of people say, oh, you know, you know, I enjoy to eat meat, but I couldn't, you know, raise the animal myself or I couldn't kill that animal myself. And it's a way of sort of blindsiding it and sort of just forcing somebody else to do it. But we also need to recognise that we're putting human beings in these very difficult situations to try to create this demand for cheap meat as well. So we as a society are creating this demand for cheap meat and then somebody has to do it. And they are probably some of the worst jobs in Australia, um, working you know, within these intensive farms or working within slaughterhouses. You know, <laughs> there's a potential for damaging you know, the psychological nature of anybody that's working in it. I actually think that there's probably a very long and strong history of workers within these places with post-traumatic stress disorder. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was, you know, a huge, vast amount of people suffering post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, everybody's met somebody almost that's worked in a slaughterhouse and said that they've gone vegetarian because they didn't realise how horrible it was, you know, behind those those closed doors. Um, and I, I, I just think it's something that, you know, we can't just shut away and sort of expect somebody else to do it for us. Um, it's something that we re- really need to open up the doors and say, well, what's actually happening here? And the only time we really hear of the workers, uh, we'll hear it reported that, you know, a, a couple of them uh, revealed in a cruelty case were fined or they were sacked or, you know, given a reprimand. And that, that's all that's done. There's nothing even about if you push it this far, their psychological well-being either. Where, where do they go? What, you know, what are we really dealing with here? That's right. And where does the management step in and take responsibility and realise that you know, if this has been happening for months, what, and what's that done also psychologically to the other workers that have witnessed it that may not have actually been involved in the overt aggression? One, one um, case of animal cruelty that we had exposed to us at the Hawkesbury Valley Abattoir a few years ago was actually brought to our attention by workers. So there was a couple of workers that were inside the facility and they were horrified by what they saw. They went and told the management. The management told them to go away. This has been happening for years. And I'm assuming a lot of that happens because of the large turnover. If you've got somebody working in there that's probably not doing the right thing, they don't want to lose those employees. They're not leaving you. So you turn a blind eye to what's happening. But these workers were very upset. They rang the Department of Primary Industries. They rang the RSPCA. Uh, the RSPCA did come out, but of course... When you're talking about hitting and beating and punching animals and various other things, they're going to stop doing it as soon as the RSPCA turn up. And so the RSPCA left, said there was nothing wrong, and, of course, the cruelty started up again. So what ended up happening in this case is the workers actually installed cameras themselves as whistleblowers and gave that footage to Animal Liberation, and we were able to take it to the media and actually expose what was happening. And then, of course, everyone steps in and, you know, the people that were involved in the animal cruelty are fired and all the rest of it. But, I mean, 
why is it that a worker inside a slaughterhouse has to go to such great lengths to stop this sort of animal cruelty? And, you know, again, these workers are not animal rights people. They're not even animal welfare people. But they were so horrified by what they saw, they took matters into their own hands. Again, under these ag-gag laws that the government's trying to push through, you know, they would be punished as whistleblowers to a much greater extent than the people they exposed for the animal cruelty. This is Lawrence Pope, Victorian Advocates for Animals. You know, it doesn't matter where I am, around Australia or across the globe, people ask me the same question. Why don't we have programs like 3CR's Freedom of Species? Why don't we have independent radio? Not radio that's a puppet of the millionaires and the billionaires, but radio that reflects the real concerns of people like you, the very salt of this great country, from Warrnambool to Wonthaggy, from Malakuta to Cootamundra, 3CR, they're kind of cats, they're for the bats, that's independent radio, that's freedom of species, not the enslavement of species, I said the freedom of species. You know what to do, donate to independent radio and warm your heart while you're cooling the planet. This is Lawrence Pope of Victorian Advocates for Animals and 3CR, wishing your species all the best. We wrapped up before hearing from Lawrence Pope our chat with Emma Hurst from Animal Liberation. This week I was kind of, it was in the back of my mind, I was really anxious and thinking I've got to get a, a an individual kind of happy pig story just to exemplify the individuals that, you know, each, each pig is. And because I always have this feeling that I have to really prove, you know, to people that aren't convinced that they should, you know, treat pigs better. Anyway, I... Um, spoke to Pete Crosby from Willowite Sanctuary about this. I'm Pete Crosby and with my wife Jeanette Crosby we've lived at Willowite Animal Sanctuary in Freshwater Creek near Geelong for about ten and a half years where we um, take in farmed animals. Last night we were talking about how you know I, I often have this this compulsion with people to like prove the worthiness of why we should be treating pigs better and I say that all oh, they're in, as intelligent as a six-year-old or they recognise themselves in the mirror and I try and, you know, refer to different um, research that's been done. Can you give me your comments on that, please? Sure. The comparisons of pigs or any animals, for that matter, with, with us, they're valid but I'm not sure that they're all that useful in the animal rights movement. Um, and what I mean by that is that they, to me, all animals exist for their own reasons. They have senses and that they have intelligences and they have communications way beyond our understanding. And, and in a way, it's demeaning to me to compare animals with us as far as our intelligence measurements go or whether they've got human-like qualities they it, it's as simple to me veganism and animal rights and, and the whole world is based on simple respect for everyone else's right to be here and the the pigs and the, all of the other animals and, and we have many animals here but all of them all over the world they have the right to live simply because they want to live um, you can hear one of our little roosters in the background called Napoleon. He, um, he and the pigs and everybody live here um, protected because they want to. And it's as simple as that. They don't have to earn that. They don't have to be intelligent. They don't have to prove anything. And I don't really 
I don't really think that it helps pigs to make that comparison, but from a, a from a very basic morality perspective, they don't have to, anything to prove. They don't need to prove, certainly to me, um, and, and most people who, who adopt veganism, they don't need to prove that they have any qualities at all that um, give them a right to exist. They exist simply because they want to, and mm. that should be enough. When I spoke to you and I asked, you know, can you tell me a few stories about the pigs on your farm, you responded with, oh, and you kind of took a moment because you really see all your animals as individuals, don't you? You don't even <laughs> seem to really segregate them as, as different species. Yeah. That, uh, and to us, you know, like a happy story, I don't think there are any happy stories in the world at the moment with farmed animals. There are individuals who might find sanctuary but but when when you look at them against the backdrop of 60 billion land animals being killed every year um, for human consumption it's, it's hard for me to think of, of, of them as, as even even the animals who live here that we love um, as having a happy ending because they, they to me they're connected they're all of this all of the animals are connected and pigs the pigs here are connected to other pigs. I don't know exactly how that happens, but they they certainly have ways that are beyond our understanding. So if you've got two or three or four pigs who um, live along an unharmed life on a sanctuary or on a, on a farm or anywhere, um, it's overwhelmed by the, the sad violence that's perpetrated on, on the rest of, of all animal species. Um, when I think about just one um, animal, certainly we've got we've got pigs here. I mean, I'm I'm sitting in in the barn at the moment, about five meters away from Charlie and Beth, um, who are two pigs that have lived here for about four years for Charlie and, and ten years for Beth, and they're just sleeping in the corner in the hay and they're snoring and they're they're perfectly happy, um, but. I, I don't really know what happiness is to a pig. Um, they seem happy and they seem content. Beth was um, with with her brother came here ten years ago um, from a, a guy that I knew when I worked at, at uh, an aluminium factory not too far from here. He he bred pigs and bred sheep to eat them, and he came in one day to work and said, "Oh, one of the sows has had piglets, but she's rolled on about half of them and killed them." And a, and a little bit later, he, he, he told me that this, his wife had told him there was only two left. So I begged him to get those two, put them in a box and bring them into to where I was working. And, and they came home without this one day old piglets. So the tragedy of that is that they lost their mother as an infant, which is oh, so often the case with, with dairy calves and so many animals that are rescued. They're, they're only rescued because they're taken away from their mothers. And, and I'm not sure what that means long term so again is it a happy ending when an animal loses the the, uh, the bond the most primitive bond that there is between a, a baby and his or her mother is broken um yes his, his or her life is saved but um i'm not sure what damage that does but anyway Bess is here she's probably 300 kilograms and she walks around she's gentle she mixes with the, the, the lambs and, and the goats and the roosters and, and um, all of the animals that wander around here in our sanctuary. And she's such a gentle, easy person to get on with. But, um, but what's going on in her mind, I've got, I've got no idea, and I don't think we ever will. I think we're so far removed from 
understanding other mammal species because of the way that we have, have divorced ourselves from the planet, that um, that all we can do is, is respect them and love them and, and leave them alone. That, that's, that's really the best way that we can... Um, we can, we can at least show our respect to to all animals, but yeah, that's Bess and Charlie, and they're lying there asleep. That was Pete Crosby from Willowite Sanctuary, a beautiful sanctuary about twenty minutes out of Geelong. Please check out their Facebook page. That wraps up our um, uh, main subject today. Uh, that kind of eventuated because of the recent footage that was put out there, the cruelty footage in regards to a South Australian piggery at Yelmar, and it got me thinking about how it's not getting through to some people that a lot of footage is everyday cruelty for the pigs in the food production system because the industry itself is exempt from a lot of animal protection laws, um, you know, that would would protect your cat, cat and dog. And I think the extra avert cruelty that Emma Hurst referred to, it distracts us from that. And so please just take this good opportunity to tell them that, you know, this is there's a lot of everyday cruelty that's happening here. We're talking about ecological thinning and subsidised longing, but we basically mean the same things, don't we, here? Wherever there are chemical corporations around the world, they're constantly trying to chip away at regulations. Earth Matters, bringing you environmental and social justice stories, from developments in government and industry to the campaigns and communities that are standing up to them. Earth Matters plays at 11am Sunday and 6.30am Wednesday. Turn your dial to 855am or listen online at 3cr.org.au. While the headlines have subsided, the nuclear power plant is still not under control, with the spent fuel rods removed from only one out of four reactors. Law needs to change so that uh, our rights can be recognised, so that decisions in relation to the use and exploitation of our lands is out. Freeze, fellas, you're under arrest. What do I do? Um, call a lawyer? Hello, Fitzroy Legal Service. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, if you are arrested, you should make a no-comment interview. A no-comment interview? Yeah. Well, how do I do that? You say... No, no comment. comment! To everything? Yes, except your name and address. Every other question you should answer with no comment. So if he asks me what colour my shoes are, I say no comment? Yes, you say... No, no comment. comment! To everything? Yes. Say no, no comment. comment. If you are arrested, exercise your right to contact a lawyer and say no comment. It's for Legal Service, proudly supporting 3CR. Okay, you are listening to Freedom of Species. I'd like to thank very much uh, the people who generously gave their time to speak to Freedom of Species today. That's Emma Hurst from Animal Liberation, Christelle Force from Aussie Farms and also Pete Crosby from Willow White Sanctuary. Uh, if you need to know any more information about this issue, please jump on the Animal Lib website or and please Aussie Farms or if you're speaking to people, get them to have a look at the Aussie Farms website. I mean, there's no doubt 
um, that once they have a look through there, they can see that this is systemised cruelty going on in the pig production system. Anyway, I best skadoodle because we have In Psychedelia coming up next. Uh, Thank you so much again for tuning in. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.